Hi there, and welcome to episode number 348 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell, and this is Upbeat Fiction for Unpredictable Times. This episode was recorded live at East City Books in Washington, D.C. on April 11, 2019. I moderated a panel with Sally Thorne, Tracy Livesey, and Mia Sosa, and it was a terrific panel with a really great audience, too. If you were there, thank you for coming out. Now, there are two notes I want to make sure to mention. One, there is a little bit of digital buzzing during some of the questions. I did my best to clean it up and minimize it, but I apologize for that. And number two, there is a question at the end that may not be audible in the final track once I've done all of the post-production. That person asks about an interview with Danielle Steele and asks about the stigma and negative press surrounding romance and whether that's changed at all. Sally Thorne and I both addressed the question, but if you can't hear the original asker, I apologize. I want to thank Tracy Livesey, Mia Sosa, and Sally Thorne for a wonderful evening, and I want to thank Darby and the other people who stepped forward to ask questions during the evening. I also have extra large and effusive thanks to everyone at East City Books for making this recording possible. If you are in the D.C. area, you should definitely stop by as they are extremely eager to welcome romance readers. And if you enjoy this conversation, I am going to be back at East City Books on May 8th, 2019, in conversation with Rachel Hawkins about her book, Her Royal Highness. There are details in the events tab at Smart Bitches Trashy Books. This week's podcast is brought to you by Radish. You can discover a world where storytelling is reimagined with Radish, an app with thousands of romance stories from best-selling authors like Lisa Renee Jones, Kelly Armstrong, Julie Kenner, and Sylvia Day in bite-sized chapters, perfect to read on your morning commute, your lunch break, or before bed. You can enjoy epic romances full of everything from billionaire bosses to tattooed bad boys to sexy vampires and paranormal shifters. You can join live chat rooms and interact with authors and fellow readers who love the same stories you do. They have a fresh collection of original stories written by some of daytime TV's top Emmy-winning writers, bingeable and fast-paced stories that you won't be able to find anywhere else. Maybe you're interested in a romantic fantasy like Heart of Dragons, where a woman is ripped away from her dashing fiancé to be sacrificed to the dragons that live beneath the earth, only to find herself falling in love with a powerful dragon prince. Radish has it all, and you can download the app in Google Play or the Apple Store for free today and begin your adventure on Radish. Every episode receives a transcript. This week's transcript is brought to you by every single Patreon community member who is supporting the show. Thank you very much. Every transcript is hand compiled by Garlic Knitter, and transcribing each episode is very important to me and to the people who like to read or listen or both. If you are part of the Patreon community, you are making every episode accessible. So thank you very much for that. If you would like to join the Patreon community, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month. And I have some new goals in place, including a goal when we hit 350 patrons. I'll start doing quarterly Ask Us Anything. If you want advice, you should definitely ask Elise or Amanda. I'm not sure I'm the best at giving advice, although I'd be really, really opinionated on what color you should paint your kitchen. I have a lot of opinions there. Our other goals include exclusive audio feeds, options for live call-in shows. Your support means a lot. So have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. And to our community, thank you, thank you, and thank you again. I have two compliments. I love this part. To Anne Kay, today... 
You are the most perfect version of you. Tomorrow, you will be too. In fact, you have a flawless track record at being perfectly you. Nice job. And to Robin B., there are databases on amusing internet virality, and they cannot keep up with how many excellent memes were inspired by your laugh this year alone. Now, if you like our live shows, you can come see us at Book Lovers Con in New Orleans if you are attending Thursday, May 16th at 3.30 at the Hyatt Regency in Imperial 5C. Me, Amanda, and Elise will be doing a live show, and it will be most excellent if you can join us. I have a link in the show notes so you can RSVP. It's totally free to attend if you're already attending Book Lovers Con. We just need to know how many chairs. I will have information at the end of the podcast about the music you are listening to, what's coming up on Smart Bitches. I have a terrible joke, and of course I will have links to everything we discuss in this episode. But without any further delay, let's get this live show going. I had so much fun at this conversation, and I'm so glad that I got to record it so I can share it with you. On with the podcast. Evening, everyone. You it are is... all fabulous. Oh, Aren't you all excited? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Destiny. I am the events coordinator here at East City Bookshop and an avid romance reader. <laughs> um, it is my immense pleasure to welcome you here today. It is a dream come true event for me. So I can imagine that a lot of you feel the same way. So... Um, is there anyone who is here for the very first time in our store? Woo, welcome, welcome. That is awesome. I will give the round of applause for you. <laughs> we are so happy to have you here. Please know we have tons of events just like this one. We just hosted Jasmine Guillory in February. So we love having you here and we hope that this is the first of many um, times that you'll be here in the store. Um, one of the events that's coming up that we're really excited about is Indie Bookstore Day, which is going to be on April 27th, a Saturday, two Saturdays from now. So not next Saturday, but the following one. Uh, we would love to have you here for that. We have tons of great things going on. So please stop on in. Um, and also we have about 14 book clubs right now. Um, one of my favorites meets tomorrow, actually, Wine and Angst, which is... <laughs> For people 21 and up who still love to read YA. So if that sounds interesting to you, please find your way to us. We have a grand old time. All right. So I'd like to say again, welcome to our panel tonight. Upbeat fiction for unpredictable times, a romance panel. I am the purveyor of all things romance here at ECB. Um, and when the opportunity for this event came up, I was exceedingly thrilled I wanted the panel to be a romance panel, of course, but beyond that, I wanted it to be diverse, and I think that we have accomplished that today, so I'm very excited about that. I will be introducing our moderator for this evening, and she will do the job of getting us going. It is my immense pleasure to welcome you, Sarah Window. Thank you. Yay. Um, so it's, it's Thursday. Uh, which is like for me the night where I barely function and often don't cook a thing because I'm exhausted. So the fact that all of you have come out to hang out with us on a Thursday is so deeply appreciated. Thank you so much for coming to hang out with us to talk about romance. So I'm going to start to my right. Would you each please introduce yourself? Tell us about your latest book title. 
And your favorite comfort food or beverage, please. I'm going to start with me and work forward. You are so slick. <laughs> you made eye contact. This is... I thought you were ready. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about Tracy. Uh, my name is Mia Sosa. I write contemporary romance and romantic comedy. My tagline is funny, flirty, a little dirty. That's a great tagline. Although, to be honest, I am seriously considering changing it to funny, flirty, moderately dirty. Um, and I'm originally from New York. Uh, I have active bitch face, which is different from resting bitch face. Um, and my latest book is Crashing Into Her. It is book three in the Love on Cue series. And my favorite comfort food has to be empanadas. Oh. Pretty much anything that you put in a dough and then bake or fry. Exactly right. It's like a sign of a really good cultural experience. Exactly. It's wonderful. All right. Um, hi, my name is Sally Thorne. I'm taking myself and my Australian accent on a tour of the U.S. Um, I wrote a book called The Hating Game back in, uh, well, I wrote it earlier than 2016, but it was released in August 2016, um, a book that completely changed my life and helped me be here right now. Um, my second book was called 99% Mine, um, and it came out in January. It was super hard to write, and I complained on social media for like two years about it. Um, <laughs> um, and... <coughs> Yeah, I've I've had a really busy trip here. Um, I'm missing my little pug dog Delia very badly, um, but I've met so many lovely people. And my favorite comfort food, oh look, I'm just going to play the Australian card and I'll say Vegemite on toast. <laughs> uh, my name is Tracy Livesey. I write uh, contemporary romance, interracial contemporary romance. Um, my tagline is true love in black and white. <laughs> I kind of like. Um, <laughs> Oh, books. Uh, so I think we'll <laughs> I think we'll be talking about my Avon series uh, tonight. But um, I actually have a novella coming out May eighth. I don't know if any of you have heard of the Rogue Resistance anthology. It's a no, yes, okay. Well, it is <laughs> a series of um, novellas um, that were written after the election. It's sort of like romance resistance. They all have sort of like a political sort of bent to them. And so the last anthology is coming out May 8th. It's called Rogue Ever After. And I have a novella in it that's kind of like uh, Two Weeks Notice, the Sandra Bullock um, movie. And so my hero is a U.S. senator, a Republican, who has Ooh, I'm going to change your mind. I'm going to change your mind. I promise. So you're going to redeem the hero then? Yes. Oh. Yes. So he has. That's a, that's a big job. I know. But, I, but I'm up to it. You got this. I, yes. But trust me. Trust me. Trust I me. trust you. This is romance. This is happily ever after. You got this. And so, you know, he hasn't been doing the right thing. He's been doing nothing, as a lot of them have been doing. And my heroine, who has worked for him, has said, Nope, um, I quit. And at that moment, he realizes what she means to him, and he knows he has to do something to to get her back. So that's coming out May 8th. And my favorite comfort food is salt and vinegar potato chips and sweet wine. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I just got so hungry. 
wow and i ate before whoa now i does anyone else like just really want salt and vinegar potato chips like right now yeah okay so you can't just you can't say things like that without being like and i brought some with me <laughs> so the title of this here panel is upbeat fiction and unpredictable times so i wanted to ask you as readers what makes a book upbeat for you or comforting because i know for a lot of us who read romance especially it's like a place of solace when you've had an absolutely crappy day you 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 try a new book or you visit a book that you've read a, a bunch of times i love being in a room full of romance writers because the minute you say something like solace or comfort they're like yep mm -hmm, yep mm -hmm. romance readers are the best so what is it what is a book for you that has solace and comfort in it what are the elements that you need what makes a book upbeat for you me you want to go first again or do you want me to not call on you um, I'm happy to go first. Um, so for me, um, comfort means immersing myself in a world that I can see myself in. So um, it's knowing that the place that an author creates is one that I would feel comfortable in, um, that I feel safe in, um, that I feel comforted in. Um, and so particularly when you're talking about contemporary romance, um, I like to know that um, that world is one in which I could see myself being a friend of the characters. Um, and then that really makes me sort of fall in love not only with them as a couple, but as individuals, and then that kind of makes me feel like oh, I'm safe and I just want these people to get what they deserve. And, you know, then I just start fluttering and, you know, doing all of the things that romance readers do. Isn't it nice when you get to just hang out with characters that yes. you really like? Exactly. It's the best. Okay. Um, well, I like your answer, first of all. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, I think a book that's really comforting is just... Um, Hmm. I, I find something that's like got a lot of heart and humor generally pulls me in in a really beautiful way. Um, I just I love those kind of days where it's just like raining outside and you've like called in sick and lied to your boss and said that you're like really unwell with a migraine. And then there's just some authors that you can always count on that every time you pick up one of their books that they're they're going to be there for you. And you know that like they're just going to come through each and every time and so I find that I just love to be like comforted by books that have really like like you said like really down-to-earth real characters that have real problems that I can relate to and um, you know you can see their in internal motivation like the reasons why they feel that they can't be with this fascinating interesting really attractive person that they've either just met or just reconnected with. Um, and at the time, at the start of the book, you're thinking to yourself, how are they going to overcome this? How are they going to get there? But I think that if the author has a really sure voice and it feels just like they've just taken your hand and just they're guiding you through. And um, let's face it, we are all you know, usually guaranteed of a happily ever after, unless it's like a cliffhanger or something in which case you throw the book at the wall <laughs> yes <laughs> um so i think that that's what comforts me and i like i love books that have like scenes where characters just really connect like and have like a really special or unusual moment where they just drop their guard and i think we all have books where there's a scene like that and you want to 
um, you know, if you've had a terrible day, like you might just pick up a particular book and, and almost like you're, you're, you've got the DVD and you're just like, I'm just going to go to that scene and just, and maybe this time when I read that scene, I'm going to cr like read it in a different way that it's going to reveal itself to me in a slightly different way, especially if it's got a little bit of ambiguity or a little bit of magic to it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's what I like. <laughs> I just want to clarify that I have allergies. Sally's not making me cry. <laughs> it was very moving. <laughs> I mean, we are at the time of year where like all the trees sneeze at once. I was not prepared for the fact that there's a period of times I moved here three years ago. I was not prepared for the fact that my car will turn green. Oh, right. Like I was not aware that that was a thing that happened. I also did not know until like maybe five years ago that it was an option to be like, listen, it's Tuesday and I'm really sick. Because there's a bunch of new books out today. I have new book flu. I'm not coming in today. Like it never even occurred to me that that was a thing you could do. And I feel so like I feel so dumb. I could have been I could have been missing school. Like what was wrong with me? I have a I have a question. Um, how long are we going until? Like an hour? Ten o'clock tomorrow morning? An hour? That's what I figured. Okay, because I was just making sure because, you know, I feel bad being like, all of you are my prisoners now. We live here. There's one bathroom. But we have a lot of books, so it's going to be fine. <laughs> Tracy, what about you? Uh, um, comfort reads, um, obviously romance because of the happily ever after. And they have trained me so well. Like, I need to know things like... Just quick tangent. I was watching World of Dance, and it's the duels where the two. Do you people watch when y'all watch World? Of, okay, so it's the duels, right? And the two people, like I get so worked up at their introductions that I have to fast forward to see who won, and then I'll go back and watch their routines. <laughs> like that's that's my world right now. So romance. You're a romance reader. <laughs> yes, I am. I am. So. I need to know that there's going to be a happy ever after. And I do like nonfiction, but I like nonfiction when I know what happened. <laughs> so, so like, I, well, I know this person's yeah. dead, so I know how so, this ends. <laughs> no, but like the bad blood, like the Theranos stuff. Oh, that was fascinating because I knew she got it in the end. <laughs> but like when I'm like reading all these Trump White House stuff, I'm like, no, because when I'm done, it's still happening. Like, I just can't. So comfort is, I know what happens. It's happy. People get together. That is so true. And that calms me. So, yeah. <laughs> so <Yeah>. true. <laughs> so comedy is a very subjective thing. And what makes me laugh might be very different from what makes other people laugh. And there's some things that are just deeply funny to you, like I stopped reading Stephanie Plum like many, many years ago. But if you say Gumpy to me, I will start laughing because it's hilarious. And so you have these moments that, as a reader and as a writer that you have to sort of translate your humor onto the page. What are some ways in which you incorporate humor in your writing? And is it a conscious thing or do you look at it later and go, oh, hey, wait, that was that's funny. Awesome. Tracy, you want to go first? Because sure. I'm evil. You can just hit me with the mic. I'm right here. I know. I, I know. know. Okay. But there's too many witnesses. Um, Someone used to be a lawyer. <laughs> I, so I don't think I write particularly funny. I don't try to write funny because if you try to write funny, it's never really funny. Um, that is a really sort of specific skill that I don't have. But I think sort of 
the humor in my writing comes out of situations. So my characters are in situations, you know, that are funny. And then if that makes me laugh, then I'm like, okay, that's good. But I don't like try. Um, like in my house right now, <clears throat> the smoke detector is way too close to the stove. And I don't know who designed that, why they thought that was a good idea, but any whiff of smoke and that thing goes off and I'm standing there with the towel and I'm just doing the little smoke detector dance. And one day it just seemed funny. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I have a scene in the book where my heroine is trying to make breakfast and she burns it and the thing goes off and the, you know, and she's doing the little dance. And so, I mean, it's not like it's funny, funny, like you guys didn't laugh, but it's funny in the book. <laughs> I'm trying not but... to because I have a microphone. <laughs> no, but in the book it's funny we're all trying to so. be polite like i mean i'm definitely holding it in no, so that's the hate that dance i'm too short for that dance okay well after that i'm feeling deeply unfunny because you're hilarious <laughs> um i agree um when you're trying to write try and don't try too hard to be funny um because that is the quickest way to be unfunny um I guess my first book, The Hating Game, is the one that people tell me is funny. And I was really surprised when I, you know, when it first started to go to my agent and then to the publisher, people coming back to me saying that it was really funny. I was genuinely surprised. I didn't really consider it to be a funny, like, because I hadn't tried to be funny. Um, it's just the way that I, um, the way that I think and the way that I like to write my sentences. I'm really glad that it's, um, like, tickled a few of you. Um I think that it, I just really enjoy um, finding like interesting, like little turns of phrase. And I love it when characters are bantering and it's just like, they're just like pop, pop, pop between each other. Um, I think that was um, more so in the hating game. Um, I once worked with a guy and we got along so well and we sat next to each other. Actually, so many people have said to me, like, was he your inspiration for Josh in the hating game? And I'm like, really no, because he was, you know, he was like an older guy and he was in his fifties. But when you're out, you know what it's like when you're at work, like you, f you find like someone at your work that's you're like, like you're my, you're my work uncle or my work wife <laughs> and you, and you need that person. If that person calls in sick to like lay in bed and read a book, you're like, I'm not forgiving that person. But the reason why I bring him up is because we got along so well and we got to know each other so well that every single time we said something to each other, I always knew that he would say the exact right thing back. And it was such a great bantery feeling just like that just fills, fills you full of energy when you are talking to someone and you can rely on them that they're always going to say the right thing back. And I think that there was a realization in the hating game for Lucy when she realized that um, Josh didn't come to work one day. Um, was he at home like reading a book? Who knows? Um, and she just realized that like all of the energy had just been drained out of her and out of the office. And it was because he always said the exact right thing to her. That, that's what I love in books. Just when, um, they come back with something really unexpected. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what usually when I like laugh out loud. I love dialogue. I think it's like eavesdropping on conversations. And I, I, I will find myself scanning to the dialogue because listening to other people's conversations, even if it's just in my head, which sounds really creepy now that I said that out loud. Um, that's really fun. Plus, you also have the cultural advantage of deep Australian sarcasm. 
<laughs> like the, the base level of sarcasm in Australia is about 25% higher than the United States. But also like the self-awareness of that is like at minus 25%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm finding I can just pretty much say anything and people are like, ha ha, aww. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah. I've just been like unwittingly like really dopey and charming no matter where I've gone just because of this accent it's yep. it's served me well to this point so I'm continuing <laughs> continuing to rely on it you're actually from like Brooklyn right <laughs> no one could do an accent this bad this well <laughs> Mia what about you um so just as Tracy said um it's really hard to write funny so what I try to do, and I think actually I succeed at it, is live funny. Um, and so the things that happen to me find themselves on the page. Um, this may be the TMI portion of this panel, um, but uh, this was about a week ago. Um, my husband and I are in the bedroom, and after um, <laughs> I, I happen to say... Um, who needs a nightcap when you can have a nightcomb? <laughs> and my husband, like, he laughed so hard. And I looked at him and I was like, yes, let me put that down. I do, I have like post-it notes by the bed. I have aqua notes in the shower. So like anywhere I am in the house, I'm like trying to figure out like, okay, that's something really good. I need to write it down and put it in a book. That's how I get my humor. Um, my, and my husband is a huge source of uh, humor because he's just, <laughs> I mean, and, I, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just imagining like, you know how those post-it notes lose their sticky, right? And they end up in the weirdest places. <laughs> so I'm just imagining something going, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, please continue. Yes, we have some interesting ones. Um, but my husband, for years, um, uh, refused to acknowledge that he needed glasses. So we went to New Orleans on a trip, and uh, we're looking for food. And he's like, look, down there, grill, grill, grill. And I was like, sweetie, <laughs> girls, girls, girls. <laughs> So this is the life that I lead, and so that's the kind of stuff that is in my books. I just, it's so ridiculous that it has to find its way in a book. So we're all really fortunate that you're a writer. Thanks for bailing on law. That was great. I mean, well played. Oh my God. All right, so I have a question for each of you about your books, but I sent it to you in advance so you don't have to be scared. There's no math. Okay. So Tracy, yeah, you ready? Yeah. Okay, so in Love Will Always Remember, one of your characters is a lobbyist, and I was very political. You there's a, there's, so there's a scene in the book where she like stands up to this complete turd bucket of a congressperson, and he's all bitter because you had a really interesting way of putting it, and I don't think I put it in my notes that he was pissed off. This is a paraphrase, but he was pissed off that someone who didn't look like him was sitting across from him and challenging him. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yes, keep going, girl. Get him. Get him. Like, my favorite scene in The Hating Game is when she signs up to his dad. Like, I was ready for him to just take a fork and stab oh him in the throat. God. That's my favorite. So, you know, women standing up to men, I'm in there. And she's a lobbyist, right? So she is a lobbyist. She stands up to powerful people on the regular, and which is, you know, something women are not conditioned to do, which is probably why I'm so fascinated when I read about women doing it. 
And then she gets amnesia. It's an amnesia. I love a good amnesia story. Because romance amnesia is completely unlike actual amnesia. <laughs> like you remember how to use the toilet. You know how to like breathe. You know how to put on socks. You probably still remember how to put on Spanx. But I addressed all of that. I know. I did. It's amazing. I did my research. I did. I know. So what are the steps that you took to reconnect her? Because she got a do-over. What are some steps that you took to reconnect her to her life and give her a do-over? Well, you know, like you said, this is romance amnesia. So it was convenient six years of her life that was lost. Um, right. Because, you know, that, that was, a, that was a, a plot point. So it had to be six years. Um, but I think what's important was to sort of show how she was before the accident. Mm-hmm. So you see sort of what her life is like right now. Um, and then the accident happens. And afterwards, I think the reader sort of, she's very vulnerable. And so the reader who may have been turned off by maybe how aggressive and assertive she was beforehand sort of feels for her because they imagine themselves in that situation and and how you would react and what would you do. Um, And then slowly you you sort of show that the way she is now without the hurt that caused the earlier persona um, is a good person. And it doesn't hurt that she has a sexy James Beard award-winning chef who wants to help her um, get back her memories. Romance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know, with like a tattoo and a little scruff. um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I know. Like, where was I? Um, um, but I, yeah, I think it's sort of showing how she was before and mm-hmm. showing sort of like what her life could be like if um, that hurt hadn't happened. And then I think what's fun is then giving her back her memories and having her choose who she's going to be. Like that was what was really interesting to me about writing an, an amnesia story, not just that it was a romance trope, but the idea that um most of us come to these sort of relationships with baggage. And um, if you don't deal with them, it could affect the relationship. Like you might meet the right person for you, but it might not be the right time in your life because you maybe haven't dealt with certain things. And so there was, that was the idea that she's having an opportunity, like, you know, in a Hallmark movie, like, you know, the holiday, she goes back in time and she has the opportunity to redo things, to make different decisions and um, sort of what her life could be like if she, you know, does the right thing and then she pops out of it and she has to make a choice. And I was really fascinated um, about writing that particular story. And her core of strength is still the same. It's Yeah, she's still the same person. It's just that the thing that hurt her that caused her to put up that face she doesn't remember and so now with the amnesia she is sort of truly who she would have been now at the end she doesn't lose that badassness because she's earned that but um the sort of the 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 wall that she Mm -hmm. put up is is gone yeah. I think that's one of my favorite parts of romance when you see characters become who they really are and you recognize them for who they are, even if they weren't that person at the start of the novel. It takes so much talent to make that happen, too, on a page. Mia, in your book, um, Crashing Into Her, so the hero and heroine have a one night stand and then they reconnect and they have there's mad banter. Y'all, there's a lot of banter, mad banter. I don't remember any post-its. 
or nightcaps. <laughs> but there was banter. Now, one of the things I thought was so interesting was that you have, you know, banter and people challenging each other and, you know, the super weird awkwardness of, you know, running into your one night stand and then having a really long extended time hanging out with your one night stand because that's not awkward. It's not like it's an elevator. You're hanging out. So the, the hero is a stuntman and he's from Puerto Rico. And in the conversations in between the jokes and the sarcasm, he also talks about Hurricane Maria and the destruction and how that is something that he carries with him along with all of the, you know, abs and sarcasm, <laughs> which is, you know, as it should be. What do you rely on when you're when you're balancing reality and comedy? That's a really hard balance. Um, so when I was writing Crashing Into Her and I knew that my um, hero was going to be um, Puerto Rican and I knew that I, I couldn't write a book without mentioning Hurricane Maria. It was just as an author, it felt important to to acknowledge that as something and to acknowledge it as a failing really um, in terms of how um, we handled it. Um, and I think the, the balance comes from creating a character that feels as real to you as someone you actually know. Um, and if, if the person um, is Puerto Rican and um, has family there, like I do, um, then that is part of them. And it's going to be a part of the conversations that they have. Um, and to not have it there is almost like you're, um, you're, you're making the person just a random person as opposed to who you know they really are. Um, and it's really easy for me to see who this person really is because their experience is my experience. Um, and so, you know, so weaving that as something that um, two characters can talk about, but that also I think when you think about the happily ever after, I think you want to give the reader confidence that these two people um, in the real world will make it. Um, and so having a conversation where they talk about Puerto Rico and she agrees with him on, you know, sort of his take um, I think for many readers will make them confident that those two together will be okay because they're on the same page on those kinds of issues that matter. Um, and so I think it's just about, you know, kind of creating the real person um, and all of the experiences that you think that person would react to and just putting that in a conversation. That makes a lot of sense. And it also makes the world of the book real because you can connect it to your world. You know that this is the same because that's the, I think that's really the challenge for a lot of contemporary romance authors, um, you have to build a world that's real to every reader when everyone's contemporary experiences are immediate and happening and different. So it is it is, it is, is important, like you said, to acknowledge what's actually happening in the world of the book that's happening in the world of, that we live in. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really important. Particularly when it affects them. Yes. Yeah. And it's something they carry. Yes. Like it's just, it's, exactly it's like, right. a, like, a, like a hurt right. or a bruise. You're just going to walk around with it. Yeah. yeah. We think a lot about like, quirks and you know what is this thing that the character does all the time yeah um but you know it's just as important to think what is the character thinking all the time what are the mm -hmm. things that are important to the character yeah now sally in your books you write from a very deep point of view of one character which is really fascinating because you allow your readers to 
like fully decorate a room in that character's head. Like we brought interior decorating magazines. We've got a couch, a couple of chairs. Like we are living in their head very much. And it's a very fun experience. How one of the things and, and I have to say, like I said before, I love the level of sarcasm. I, I, I do love a good sarcasm. How do you choose then when you're deep, deep, deep in the point of view, how do you choose how much to reveal about the characters they're interacting with? Because it's obviously filtered through their perspective. Mm -hmm. But for the reader, you're building other characters. How do you choose how much to reveal for the other POV? Okay. Um, well, yes, you're right. I'm really in one person's head. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's actually probably – I probably actually write – prefer to write in the third person. Like if I was – Left to my own devices and no one was ever going to read it. I like writing like I'm God and I know what everyone's thinking. Um, but um, for a book like The Hating Game, I think I, maybe I started out writing it in third person but realized very quickly on, you know, probably in the first chapter that it wasn't going to work because the experience that I want the reader to have is that they are in her tiny little shoes and they are <laughs> in that office and they are across from that guy and I just – like I couldn't achieve that kind of feeling of intensity by um, being outside and, and looking in. Um, so I've continued that in 99% mine. Um, and I had a few challenges with this book. Like I, I set myself a few difficult tasks. Um, so for people who haven't read it here, um, it's about two twins, um, a boy and a girl, and they inherit a cottage from their grandmother. And, um, the twins are in the middle of like a World War Three fight. Like right, the right. worst, they fight all the time. This is the worst fight that they've ever had. Um, and the brother's best friend um, arrives to help them renovate the cottage for sale. Um, so this is um, a riff on a like a brother's best friend trope. Um, but I've changed it slightly because um, I didn't like in brother's best friend how it was often, you know, the brother saying to his friend, "Keep your hands off my little sister." Like I, I'm in, with you there. <laughs> yeah, I, d I didn't like that. And so in this case, it's the brother saying to his sister, keep your hands off my best friend. And she, <laughs> she tries really hard, um, but, it, but it's tough. It's tough. It's also a forced proximity or a situation, which is another one of my personal catnips. Love it when people get snowed in. You know, it's just like, darn, so much it's snow. Like you're speaking, <laughs> speaking to my soul right now. Those are yeah. all of my one favorites. bed. <laughs> Yeah, there is one bed in that cabin that is smothered in snow right to the ceiling. Yes, yes. And, and body heat. They need body oh, heat. Oh, okay. Okay. Can someone get us a laptop? Because I think we're about to write something here. <laughs> so anyway, the, this, the other challenge that I had was that I chose characters that all knew each other their whole lives. So that is a really hard thing to establish really early on without going on for too much that – you know, how do these people know each other and what is their dynamic and, uh, and what do they think, what does she think of him? The, the guy, the love interest, Tom Valeska, AKA the world's most perfect man. Um, and I, I think like s specific to this question, I think that the challenge was that Darcy has a twin brother called Jamie and Jamie isn't in the book, like in person, in a scene for most of the book, but, I had to have him there with her all of the time. Um, my mom's a twin. Um, she's got a twin brother. And I've always been really interested in that dynamic. And so I, um, I just really needed Jamie to be this presence always. He's always the, the thought that she returns back to. It, it's like he's, he's there invisibly. 
mm-hmm. judging and like tormenting. And so I had so many people say to me like, oh, I hated that guy, Jamie. And I'm like, yeah, I made you hate him because Darcy thought she, you know, Darcy pretty much hated him in the beginning. Um, so by the time Jamie arrives and steps out of the car and walks into this scene, I'm hoping that you guys all felt that you knew him and um, he, yeah, it, it was a, a difficult thing to try to achieve and I hope that I did. Um, but yeah, I think I'll continue writing in that first person um, just because I think that it lets me leave the love interest a little mysterious and that's my favorite kind of romance novel. Mm-hmm. I've had so many requests, including from my own mother, might I say, to write The Hating Game from Josh's point of view. Um, and my mom has titled it The Loving Game. Um, <laughs> and- All right, so a uh, show of hands, all in favor? All right, we'll 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 we'll, we'll begin nagging. Shortly. Don't worry. Uh, if my mom can't get me to do it, then no one can. <laughs> um, but I just I just really love that you'll never know exactly what those guys are thinking. And um, like I said before, I love books where you just feel like if you just read this bit one more time, it's just gonna like sort of like kaleidoscope twist around, and you're oh, going to finally understand yeah. what he meant or what that look meant. But the reason why I like leaving those little uncertainties in there is because then the reader uses their imagination. And as soon as you finish a book and put it out there, it's no longer my book. It's our book. We all share it together. And um, I really enjoy thinking that little bits of it all are yours now. That's lovely. (laughs) That was beautiful, right? Yeah. (laughs) You were being entirely sarcastic, weren't you? All right, so we have, one, we have one more question, and then we're going to open up to the audience. And I always ask this of any podcast guest, so I'm going to ask you guys, do you have a book or books that you would like to recommend that makes you feel happy that you want to tell everyone about? Um, well, I, it's no secret that I'm like a Christina Lauren fangirl. Um, I love those girls. They're really good friends of mine. Um, if, if anyone doesn't know, they're um, two people writing under the pen name of Christina Lauren, so Christina and Lauren. Um, and... Like I said right at the beginning, like for them, like for me, they're an author where I can always count on that they're always going to come through for me, that the book is going to be just a really well-developed world with people that have full lives and you just step into it and you're just like pulled along with it. Um, So I loved like um, Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating. That was one where I like I remember actually having to like physically prevent myself from wetting myself which like is um I mean like so often in books you're like huh or like lol but like that that one was that one was like I came close guys to yeah Uh, I came close and um like I also read an advanced copy of the upcoming book The Unhoneymooners which is just like I don't know how they keep getting better and better with each release but they do um, and another great book that's coming out soon is Fix Her Up by Tessa Bailey. Yes. Um, and I really think that's going to be a big book um, when it comes out. I think that's going to be one that everyone's talking about because it's just so endearing, um, so funny, like hot as hell, um, but like also just balanced with that real sweetness and uh, really real characters and really great internal motivators. So um, those are some of my recommendations. Nice. Um, I'm going to go with one, um, one that I read recently. Um, I basically read novellas because <laughs> I'm writing all the time and I don't have time to read um, a lot of books. But um, 
I read Phyllis Bourne's Feud, um, and it is so funny. It basically the story is um, there are two uh, neighbors, a woman who learns that as a result of her um, a family member's death, she's inherited a home, and she's inherited a home next to um, the owner of the home of a family that has been in a feud with her family for decades. And she also learns that there is an additional clause in the will that basically would give her an additional $250,000 if she somehow gets this guy out of the neighborhood. So, and he has the same clause in his will. So their goal is basically to get rid of each other. And the things that they do are so hilarious, including a scene where um, he is mowing his lawn and she is about to go to a job interview. And all of the grass clippings get all over her suit and she manages to get it off, but doesn't realize that it has also gotten trapped in her afro. And so she is at the interview with grass clippings. And it, I mean, just the visuals in this, the things that they do to each other, including he finds himself on the roof and she ends up taking her ladder. Um, so he's stuck on the roof. I mean, it is so adorable. And um, she uh, she is one of those writers who breaks the wall. And so she's actually talking um, to the reader. And um, so they're, you know, that you'll get this sort of, you know, stop judging me. I know I did something really badly here. Um, but it has just that feel. It is something that I guarantee you, you will laugh at. Awesome. Game on. Yeah, I'm the worst. I was like looking at my Kindle app trying to find <laughs> books and authors because I can't remember anything. Oh, and, it's okay. I can't either. Yeah, and I'm writing right now. And so I tend to not read what I'm writing. I'm actually reading nonfiction. I'm reading the New View book, which is some stuff so um but i think the, the last romance novel i read was a novella it was adriana anders uh, loving the secret billionaire um which is really good he's hot he's blind he's a virgin it's <laughs> and a secret billionaire and a secret yes. is there only one bed and they're stuck in the snow <laughs> no um that's fine no but he's hot. He, he lives out in the woods though oh that was reclusive okay. yeah. yes yes so um and he's very talented with his fingers because he's a computer guy but get your minds out the gutter. so that was the last some of you are writing this down aren't there. you <laughs> but yeah that's the last one that, awesome. that was good all right audience question time who has questions who wants to ask questions don't be shy. I have more questions. Okay. Go ahead. If you would like, okay, if you would like to have your question included in the podcast, just go ahead. And if not, tap the microphone three times and I'll know to take it out. But introduce yourself and ask your question, please. Oh, that was a lot. I'm fine with it. Don't worry about it. Cool, dude. Thanks. I have to get consent. It's a thing. Isn't DC single single party consent? DC is single party, but I live in Maryland, so I operate under dual party consent. Ah. Look at you. One of my questions, and Sally, I'm so sorry, I haven't read your books yet, um, but I'm very familiar with you too, Tracy and Mia. Um, one of the things that I really love about both of y'all's books is that you bring in things from your own personal lives, like you're Puerto Rican, 
your son having uh, being on the spectrum. Did you? How do you navigate that line between something that you really want to bring in your own life and make it real for the reader, but also getting too personal? I was wondering about that. Well, I just shared a bunch of TMI, so I'm not <laughs> sure that I'm the best person to ask this question. Um, there, I think the line for me is the stuff that I um, bring out in my life is the stuff that's funny. Um, and, um, there is emotional stuff. There's no question. Um, but I try and, uh, minimize kind of, um, anything that I know personally, um, is something that's going to hurt me as I read. Cause if it hurts me as I read, it might hurt a reader to read the same thing. And for me, the biggest thing is that I don't want to do harm. Um, I want people to pick up my books and feel comfortable and know that the world that I've created is one um, uh, that they'll they'll end up happy in, um, just like my characters. Um, there's no question that there are things that I um, include that are part of my personal life that aren't sort of like ha ha ha, um, you know, including sort of the um, the pu- push and pull in one of my books, um, acting on impulse. There's a push and pull between the heroine and her family. She's a personal trainer. Um, her family owns a Puerto Rican restaurant and they have this tension because, um, her father has had a stroke. Um, and, uh, she's very worried about the fact that if he continues to eat the wonderful foods, um, that the restaurant, um, offers that she, he's going to get sick again. Um, and, and those are things that are like real tensions, you know, um, but it, but the, the arc of that secondary conflict, um, is one that I think ends up happily. Um, they end up, should I say this? I guess it's spoilery. Um, but, uh, they end up, uh, you know, doing a, a cookbook, um, that basically takes, um, their, um, Puerto, traditional Puerto Rican foods and makes them their lighter fare. And that's kind of sort of one of the ways that I approach it because it's something that I do with my own <laughs> mother. Um, I remember um, uh, one Thanksgiving, we always make empanadas. That's why it's my comfort food um, in our house. And um, one Thanksgiving, I, I told her that I was going to make um, baked empanadas. <laughs> You could imagine <laughs> her response. She was looking at me like, what? Baked? We don't bake empanadas. Um, but I did it and she loved it. So, um, you know, so those things do come up and you, you, you show those kinds of tensions, but um, do them in a light way. That's kind of try- how I try and balance it. I mean, I would just say that I sort of... Um, I'd get inspiration from things in my life. Like, you know, my son has Asperger's. And so thinking about him um, is what sort of um, led me to write a romance with a hero that was on the spectrum. Um, So, you know, my son is only 15, so (laughs) it's not quite the same. But the emotion that I have, you know, for him, the love that I have for him, I I hope translated into the story. And so in that way, um, I sort of take from my personal life, but it's not too much because it's not, you know, the real situation. And it's sort of like the same with my daughter with the amnesia book. Um, My daughter is 13 now, but when she was five, um, we found out that she had 
a, a brain tumor the size of a walnut attached to a cyst the size of a softball. Good and heavens. Yes. But it was, um, just long story short, she's fine. Um, <laughs> we are all good. Um, but they think it was slow, a slow growing thing. And so for years, she was a very sort of quiet, I don't want to tear up, but she's a very sort of quiet little girl. And after the surgery, my husband like made me go home because the surgery was in Richmond and we lived in Fredericksburg. And he's like, go home. I have two boys. He's like, see them, take a shower, come back. And when I went back, um, she was awake from the surgery and she was just like, blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. And daddy bring me chicken nuggets and I want smoothies. And like the nurse, you know, like everyone was just like so sort of charmed by her. And I was like, who is this little girl? Because that is not who I let wheel, you know, let them wheel into the operating room. Um, but, you know, her personality had changed because this thing that, you know, had been inside her for a while that she didn't know was not normal. I mean, that was her life was now gone. And so that sort of thinking and emotion led to that book, even though it wasn't the same situation. And so um, that's sort of how I take from my life into the books. And then I'll just throw random funny things in, like in that same book, the hero, um, the heroine describes the hero's laugh. And it's the way my husband laughs and it always cracks me up and makes me happy. And so I'll put little things like that, but nothing that's too TMI that anyone would, you know, that he would be unlike worried about. Mia. I know, unlike those situations. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I got lots of questions. I got one over here, I got one over here. Ma'am? Yes. Come on up. No, that's all right. I've done that. So my questions are for Sally. Sorry that I'm blocking people. Um, I'm part of your flamethrowers group, so I um, oh, hey. have followed you for a while, it feels like. But I actually have two questions. So the first is I really enjoy hearing your sort of behind the scenes when you were writing the books. Um, like for example, when you read the um, first chapter, your, the first draft um, version in, in of the, the first read, chapter. In the along. Yes, exactly. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. And also um, when there was the six scene that it was originally um, reversed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if there's any other um, interesting sort of behind the scenes story of things that you've changed. I know you've mentioned like for both books that they ran long and then you had to um, edit them down. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you lost anything in those, in that editing process that, um, mm. I don't know, you were sad to lose. So that was my question one. Question two is if you have any um, movie update news. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yes, for 99% mine, I, I wrote it as 100,000 words because that's what The Hating Game was. The Hating Game was a big book. Um, I, I, I didn't, guys, I still don't know what I'm doing here. I, I just, I've only got two books and I was just like, okay, I guess I'll just do, write it the same as the first one. So I turned in a hundred thousand words and, um, the editor read through and she was like, oh, I think this can be a shorter book than this. I think we can just tighten this up. So I did lose 20,000 words, which, um, it was hard at the time, but because I'm, I recognize that I'm like a little newborn baby author that doesn't know much. And I have a very good editor um, who works with some really top authors. I thought she knows what's best for the story and for the pacing of this. So um, 
I mean, I did wince a little bit when I got my my computer mouse and I dragged, dragged all the way down. And I dragged and I dragged and I dragged all the way down many pages, and then I went delete. Um, it was a. <laughs> oh, is that what I should have done? I should have saved all that for bonus material. <laughs> you don't kill your darlings; you relocate them to another folder. <laughs> These are the things that I'm learning here. I'm like really learning like I should have saved that for like a newsletter or something like that. Um, look, I can't think about it too much as to whether I lost something that was too important to me. I've got to kind of like leave that behind. The book's done now um, and I have to just accept that I kind of did my job. I, I, I produced the best book that I think that I could at the time considering the like crushing – writer's block that I um, struggled with, um, which everyone knows that I did. Like having a book like The Hating Game happen and then um, everybody saying to you, I can't wait for your next book. Um, it's like such a lovely thing to say, but also just the hardest thing to hear because it's it's me feeling like I've got to, I've got to come up with it again. I have to try to give you guys feelings again and I wasn't sure if I could do it I wasn't sure if I was just like a like a one-hit wonder and there were times when I wondered maybe I should just have one great book and then fade into obscurity again <laughs> um so yeah look there there, there was um in in those 20,000 words of course there were scenes that I enjoyed writing and I I felt like they added to the story but ultimately I just took the advice of the professionals, and um, I think I'm happy with how it turned out. Um, and as for your second question about um, the movie, um, so if you guys don't know, um, The Hating Game was optioned um, fairly soon after it came out, um, and we had to kind of keep that under wraps for a while because they wanted to actually get some get some stuff done. Like, you know, books get optioned all the time and then nothing happens, but in this case – the production company were like really passionate about the book. They really got the book and they wanted to like kind of do right by it. So um, they hired a really great screenwriter. And um, so the screenplay was written um, not by me, but I got to have input into it, which was great. I didn't actually expect that I would be able to. Um, I kind of just thought that, you know, from there on I would just be like kind of in the dark. But they they gave it to me and it was a really cool moment to read um, your book in a script format, you know, like all formatted out, you know, like, you know, scene and exterior and like, yeah, <laughs> I was just, I was just like kind of freaking out. I studied film when I went to university. And so it was just like a really cool moment for me. Um, um, so that was completed and guys, honestly, it would be such a great movie. It's like, I'm so happy with the, the screenplay is just incredible. It's so funny. It's so fast paced and she also thought of some things like that I kind of wish that I'd thought of, which is also like, <laughs> it's like a little hard on the ego sometimes when you just like, you read through it and you're like, oh yeah, that's better. <laughs> um, and then they um, attached a director, um, David Merkin, who, I mean, for me, he's always going to be most famous for directing Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Um, so, I mean, like that time after time scene at the end, guys, we know that he can do like ridiculous and funny really well. Um, and, um, so yeah, now it's in that kind of like mysterious no man's land of like, you know, 
where development where I sound like really mysterious, but it's because I honestly don't know what happens next. (laughs) I've I've never known what happens next. Um, This entire experience for me from the day that I got my book deal, I've had like zero expectations for anything. I've just been pleasantly surprised every single time when The Hating Game came out. I was just, you know, like if I get like one person that loves this book, then I'll feel like I did it and I achieved what I wanted to. So um, constantly mildly astonished and confused. I think that's probably my tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Astonished and mildly confused? Well, I think that is our time. Is that correct? One more question? Oh, dear. Nobody on this side of the room? Yeah, all right. One in the back. Yes, sir. You are so off the hook for a baby gift. Like, you don't have to get anything. Yeah. Coincidentally, I did read an article, uh, publication at the beginning, about Danielle Steele earlier this week. And it was saying that she's gotten no respect for the prolific reality of her career. Mm-hmm. And just the, the vast number of sales and production, volume, and everything. And so I asked the question that do you think it's just blatant sexism? Yes. Or- <laughs> I think there's a turning point for when the genre as a whole and the writers as a whole will gain the respect that they may deserve for just the sheer quantity and for the sheer amount of volume of people that love them. Yeah. Um, I, I read that interview with Danielle Steele and it made me really sad. Um, mm-hmm. It struck me as someone who was writing from a place of deep loneliness and maybe some like disappointments in her life and. I found it really sad that she said in the interview that her kids weren't really that aware of her success. She, I think she's got a lot of kids, doesn't she? Like how many kids does Danielle still have? Like I want to say like seven or something like that. Like like a lot. She's got a lot of kids. Um, <laughs> um, luckily she can afford them. <laughs> and she said something along the lines of, you know, my kids don't know that I'm famous. They don't know what my career is. And it struck me as really sad because – I want them to know. I want them to know that she's the the highest selling author alive right now and that she's like achieved the most incredible successes that like any of us here up on the stage, like, you know, like it's incredible. (laughs) Like, and so I just wish that especially for her daughters that they would know what their mother had achieved. I, I, I feel like maybe she was trying to frame it in like she's protecting them so that they don't know that they're like, crazy rich but um no they know (laughs) yeah i've seen the interior of her apartment they know (laughs) and um yeah so i just wish that her kids um that that she could feel more proud of herself to tell her kids Mm -hmm. you know that this is this is the legacy that she's created and leaving behind but yeah i do think that it is um sexism and she also mentioned in that interview that she had an ex-husband that really belittled her career and said that he, you know, she, she never felt like she was able to be proud of herself. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I left um, reading that interview just feeling sad and disappointed for someone that has achieved so much and should be so proud, but mm-hmm. just um, hasn't had the, f- hasn't allowed herself to, to feel the full experience. And yeah, I do think that there is, it. well, yeah, it's, um, when people, when you say you're a romance writer, I think that, yeah, there's a lot of sexism and, um, people don't seem to want to attach as much worth to women's 
enjoyment and experiences as men's. Mm-hmm. I've been writing Smart Bitches for 14 years and I've been reading romance for longer than that. So basically, um, I write about romance, but I also write about the writing about romance. And for many, many years, it was crap. And there was this sort of, okay, we all like go into a bunker in February because that, right? <laughs> That's when the media is like, oh, it's Valentine's Day. And then there's those books with Fabio. Let's go talk about sex and find a romance author for dating advice. And we're all like, oh my God, everybody get the wine. We're going in the bunker now. Do you practice the scenes that you write? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I got asked I, I when I did an interview on live television, which, which wasn't, you know, my mouth wasn't dry enough. I got asked about my sex life on live TV and I'm writing about romance. I didn't even write a romance at that point. Oh, yeah. There is a presumption that if you're writing romance, that there's an enormous amount of assumptions that are going to be made about you as a writer, as a reader and about the books. I would like to be optimistic and think that the tide has begun to turn because there are more outlets that have significant power behind their mastheads that are looking at romance without the 40 to 50% of, oh, yeah, that we got to talk about it once a year, where they talk about it more than once a year. And then there's journalists like Kelly Faircloth at Jezebel, who is amazing when she writes about romance. And there are people who are like, no, no, wait, hold on, time out. We actually need to take this seriously, not just because it's sex and that's fun to write about because then we get page views and get clickbait, but also because this is a viable and important genre. And it is a massive part of the publishing industry. We need to take this seriously. I see more of that, but I still see like the, the bingo card of, all right, you mentioned Fabio. Yeah. Right. The bingo the bingo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Game. Yeah, Mia did a drinking game. I did a whole series of workouts because I'm evil. <laughs> and the first one was like romance novels. Like if, 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 if someone feels bereft when the heroine leaves the room, you have to do 10 push-ups because <laughs> I'm a terrible person. But the, the drinking game and right. the romance publicity or it's February, everybody head to the bunker coverage, there's still that same sort of sexism. I think it was Nora Roberts who said that it's the hat trick of easy targets. It's relationships, emotions, and sex. And the more we take those three things seriously, which I think we're beginning to do culturally, the more the tone of the coverage of the genre will change. Plus, it's really hard to ignore a genre when on a Thursday night in DC, you have a room full of people here to talk about it. So thank you guys for being part of that change. And I think this is our time, correct? Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you guys. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I want to thank everyone at East City Bookshop again for allowing me to record the panel. And to Sally and Tracy and Mia, you were outstanding. Thank you especially to everyone who came out on a Thursday night and made that such a fun experience for everyone. I have another conversation at East City Books coming up May 8th. I will be in conversation with Rachel Hawkins at the East City Bookshop talking about her new release, Her Royal Highness. You can find out more at Smart Bitches Trashy Books in the event tab and in the links to the show notes. I will also have links to where you can find Sally Thorne, Tracy Livesey, and Mia Sosa all over the internet so that you can follow them, sign up for their newsletters, and find out about their newest books. And of course, I have links to all of the books that we talked about in the show notes as well. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave me a message and tell me a joke at 12013713272. Just leave a message. Tell us what you're thinking. Tell me a terrible joke. I love those. This week's podcast episode is being brought to you by Radish. 
you can discover a world where storytelling is reimagined with Radish, an app with thousands of romance stories from best-selling authors like Lisa Renee Jones, Kelly Armstrong, Julie Kenner, and Sylvia Day, all in bite-sized chapters, perfect to read on your morning commute, your lunch break, or before bed, or all of the above, if you're like me. You can enjoy epic romances full of everything from billionaire bosses and tattooed bad boys to sexy vampires and paranormal shifters. You can join live chat rooms and interact with readers and authors who love the same stories you do. They have a fresh collection of original stories written by some of daytime TV's top Emmy-winning writers. Bingeable, fast-paced stories you won't find anywhere else. You can dive into Gita's outrageous dating life as she joins a shifter-only dating app. Her super sexy date, Reese Darby, turns out to be a human. And their crazy sexual chemistry makes it hard to believe he's really not into shifters. You can also join virginal college student Allie Calloway in Fraternity Madam, who becomes an overnight success running an escort service with the fraternity boys next door. Or maybe you're interested in romantic fantasies like Heart of Dragons, where a woman is ripped away from her dashing fiancé to be sacrificed to the dragons that live beneath the earth, only to find herself falling in love with a very powerful dragon prince. Whatever you are interested in, Radish has it all. You can download the app in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store for free today and begin your adventure on Radish. This week's transcript is being brought to you by the Patreon community. Thank you, everyone, for helping underwrite the transcripts every week so that every episode is accessible. And thank you to Garlic Knitter for transcribing each and every one. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be wonderful to have you. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at one entire dollar every month. And goals are good, so I have some. All of the information is at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Your support of the show means a lot, so thank you very, very much. If you want to see us live, I will recap the details real quick. You ready? Here we go. If you're attending Book Lovers Con and New Orleans on May 16th at 3.30 local time at the Hyatt Regency, Amanda, Elise, and I are doing a live podcast. You can join us, Imperial 5C. There's a link to RSVP in the show notes. It's free to attend if you're already attending Book Lovers Con. We just need to know how many chairs. That's really it. We hope that if you're going, you'll join us because live shows are so much fun and we love meeting you in person. The music you are listening to is from Sassy Outwater. This is Caravan Palace. This track is called Queens. Obviously, for obvious reasons. You can find this track on their double album set Caravan Palace and Panic, which is available at Amazon or iTunes. And you can find Caravan Palace on their website at caravanpalace.com been a while since I've had a band that had a MySpace page. I think I need to go find some. Coming up on the web site, Smart Bitches, Trashy Books that goes with this here podcast, it is time for what you're reading. We're getting into your reading business twice a month and we want to know what what are you reading? We're going to tell you what we're reading. You're going to tell us what you're reading. We're all going to buy new books, but you knew that because this is not your first rodeo. Next week, we have some reviews of new fiction, a new edition of Cover Snark. And since it's the first of the month, we're going to be talking about all the May titles we're looking forward to. And wow, is that a big list. Plus, we have books on sale every day and help a bitch out on Tuesdays. I hope you will stop by and join us. I will have links to all of the things that we talked about during this uh, conversation. And I will have links to all the books we mentioned, of course, in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. Yes, I can type that as fast as I say it now that I think about it. 
And as always, I end each episode with a terrible joke. And this joke is from Kit, who has been emailing me terrific jokes for about a week now. And it is a freaking delight. So thank you, Kit. Are you ready? Bad joke? Bad joke. Here we go. What do you call a milking machine disruption at the dairy? Dun, dun, dun. What do you call a milking machine disruption at the dairy? Utter chaos. (laughs) I love, I just have this... (laughs) imaginary moment of all of you rolling your eyes at once is glorious fun (laughs) so on behalf of everyone here with special thanks to everyone who made this episode possible we wish you the very best of reading have a wonderful weekend we will see you back here next week